Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi guys, I'm Amy. And I'm Kenzie. And we are the hosts of the new true crime podcast, Sheer Crime. We are old beauty school friends who reconnected a decade later to learn that not only did we now live in the same town, but we are both true crime fanatics. Every week, in the comfort of my basement, cold drinks in hand, we discuss true crime documentaries and give our raw and uncensored take on the evil acts that occur in our world. If COVID, quarantine, and working from home have you aching for a break from the same old, same old, come hang with us on Share Crime. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else that you subscribe and listen. New episodes are released every Wednesday and bonus episodes are sprinkled in here and there. We can't wait to hear from you. And remember, never run with scissors. Bye. Bye. Warning. The following podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, this is Ben. And I'm Karen. Welcome back to episode two of now what I'm calling the piece of shit should have drowned when he was a baby, Jeffrey Dahmer. You think they came back for this one? I don't know. I kind of didn't want to come back for this one. Ugh. But yeah, in all seriousness, that was a fucking rough one. And I'm glad we did it in two parts because I think, actually, I know I needed a break. I know you needed a break, and I'm sure our listeners needed a break. Digest that, and let's get on with part two of this. Again, should have been fucking swallowed as a baby. Donald Gaskins. And I'm sorry, because this one just gets worse than the first part. Yes, we gave you a trigger warning, but here's a a second trigger warning. It's going to be rough from the beginning. His next two victims, well, I should say his next two confirmed victims, were his 15-year-old niece, Janice Kirby, and her 15-year-old friend, Patricia Patty Ann Alsbrook. On November 10th, 1970, Gaskins offered to drive the two drunk girls home from a bar. They accepted his offer without thinking twice, and why would they? After all, Gaskins was Kirby's uncle. 
Why were these two 15-year-olds drinking at a bar? Because it was 1970. Shit was wild. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was still illegal. <laughs> what was it, like 18 was the drinking age then? Fuck if I know. <laughs> That's a lot of your answer. <laughs> that is typically my answer. Fuck if I know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 18. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a... <laughs> This is not a lawyer podcast. This is a true crime podcast. Yeah, we don't we don't know anything about laws. The two girls quickly realized that something wasn't right when Gaskins drove them to an abandoned house instead of their home. Yeah, that'd be a big red flag for me. Usually. Gaskins explained this away by telling the girls that he wanted to help them get cleaned up and sobered up before he would take them home. That's what you do at abandoned houses. You clean them up, right? Typically. Once they entered the home, with a gun in hand, Gaskins ordered Patty to sit down while he sodomized his niece. She began to fight him, and Patty seized the opportunity to hit him over the head with a nearby lamp. Good. Like a little bitch, Gaskins fell over, clutching his head, and the two girls ran out of the house. Good. Well, this is little hatchet man, so... <laughs> Unfortunately, Gaskins was able to catch up to the two girls... And with his gun, he ordered the two of them into the trunk of his car. And then he drove to his house. That's never good. Once inside his house, Gaskins ordered Patty to take off her clothes. Janice tried to escape again, so he knocked her unconscious by hitting her in the head with his gun. Patty tried to escape again and met the same fate as her friend. Gaskins then handcuffed both girls and raped them before beating them both to death. God damn. Gaskins then placed their dead bodies in the trunk of his car one more time. He drove the girls to an undisclosed location. There, he dumped Patty's body into a septic tank. And he buried Janice behind an old barn. On December 18th of 1970, 13-year-old Margaret Edwards Curtino went missing. Margaret was the daughter of State Senator James Curtino, and her grandfather was Dr. Robert Poole, who at that time was the president of Clemson University. Oh, wow. Immediately, the police began to question possible suspects, including Gaskins. He was released due to having an alibi, though. Really? Mm-hmm. Only 12 days later, on December 30th, Margaret's body was found. Her body was found in a wooded area right off of Highway 261, in Manchester State Forest, near Wedgefield in West Central South Carolina. According to autopsy reports, Margaret died from blows to the head and strangulation. Her little body was covered in burn marks, which possibly came from cigarettes. The multiple burn marks point to Margaret being tortured before she was murdered. Motherfucker. Body decomp suggested that she'd been killed within the last five days meaning that she had been kept alive for a few days. Which is what he's done before. Yeah, that was all of Gaskin's M.O. Yeah. At the time, though, the police didn't really piece that together. It's because there was his coastal killings, and they had no idea that he was even doing that. Right. I mean, we're talking about a small-town police force, not the FBI's BAU. In the 70s, too. Right. Where DNA was not a thing yet. And even now that it's a thing... Right. The police force in South Carolina's not the greatest. Yeah, we'll get to that later in future episodes. <laughs> yeah. 
Oddly enough, a truck driver from Swainsboro, Georgia, confessed to killing Margaret. 39-year-old William Pierce was sentenced to life for her murder, even though none of the evidence pointed to him as the killer. After what most would consider a super violent year, Gaskins finally had a cool-down period. And it actually lasted quite a bit until 1972. Okay. On March 29th, 1972, Gaskins murdered Martha Ann Dick. Dick was an Afro-American drug addict transvestite that Gaskins would have sex with from time to time. Martha joked with Gaskins that she'd been quote-unquote knocked up by him and that she was going to name the baby Pee-wee Dicks. <laughs> Girl had a sense of humor. Yeah, no shit. Gaskins, though, being the goblin afterbirth that he is. <laughs> Let's all take a second to just... This is a serious matter. Waft over my wife's amazing, amazing insults. <laughs> So he didn't approve of interracial relationships and babies. While he's (laughs) partaking in an interracial relationship. Like the irony, right? Jesus. So Gaskins brutally beat her, then forced her to take a shit ton of unspecified pills. This caused her to overdose, and Gaskins was kind enough to dump her body in a drainage ditch. Now, as a sidebar, I read... A ton of different accounts on Martha's murder. Half of them had the story about the unspecified pills and him forcing her to take all of those and she overdoses and dies. The other half said that he stole battery acid or photo developer acid from a photographer, which then... He laced a Coke with that, and he made her drink the Coke and essentially, like, developed her insides and murdered her that way. Mm. I don't know which of the two is correct. I mean, both of them will kill you. So I don't just want to say, you know, this is what he did, and then that's not the case. So both of the stories are out there. I don't know which one is true. Point of the story is he killed her. In June of 1972, Gaskins kidnapped 60-year-old Ann Culberson from Atlanta, Georgia. He tortured her for 96 fucking hours. Jesus. And then he used a ball-peen hammer to smash her skull in. I didn't know what the fuck a ball-peen hammer was. Really? I had to look it up. For anyone that doesn't know what it is, (laughs) like me, it's a hammer with two heads One is flat and the other is rounded. Used for shaping stuff. And for smashing skulls in, apparently. No, that's not what it's for. He buried Culberson behind the same barn as his niece. In October of 1973, Gaskins killed 14-year-old Jacqueline Lee Freeman. She had run away from home in Minnesota. Once she made it to South Carolina, she was abducted, raped, and tortured for two days. Gaskins murdered her, and then he ate a portion of her calf. God. Fuck this guy for preying on all these young-ass girls, too. Yeah. Like, that dude is a peewee bitch. Like, he's 5'4", and he can't get anybody else but 14-year-old girls to kill. Like, 
not saying that you should kill anybody, you know, but have some balls to try to take on someone your own size at least. Well, that's why he has taken I on. Guess. <laughs> I mean, 13-year-olds are his size. True. The bitch's name is Pee-wee, so. Towards the end of 1973, Gaskins bought a motherfucking hearse. What? When asked why, he said, and I quote, I kill so many people, I need a vehicle to haul all the bodies to my private cemetery. And that's not a motherfucking red flag. I'm pretty sure he didn't tell the guy that he bought the hearse from that. That's literally what he told people when asked. Wow. Around town, he had a reputation for being easily angered, explosive, weird as shit, and even mentally disturbed. Well, yeah, he has a fucking hearse. But no one considered him truly dangerous. Because he's a peewee. At this point, he was living in Prosperity, South Carolina, with yet another fucking wife and a baby son. I just want to know how. I could barely find you. (laughs) And here this motherfucker is finding new wives left and right. I just want to know how. I mean, I've been wondering that the entire time. How is he pulling in so many women? (sighs) Okay. Now, everyone, like, hold on to... Oh, Jesus. Hold on to something. One of the victims of his most fucked up and gruesome crime was someone who considered him a friend. Doreen Dempsey was a 23-year-old single mother to a two-year-old baby girl, Robin, and she was currently eight months pregnant. Doreen asked Gaskins for a ride to the bus station. Doreen quickly realized something wasn't right when instead of driving to the bus station, he drove to a heavily wooded area instead. There... Hidden behind the thick brush and tree-packed woods, he brutally raped Doreen. While baby Robin could do nothing more than cry. My God. Are you serious? It's just going to get worse from here, Ben. (sighs) All right, let's go. But before he killed Doreen, he started fondling baby Robin, who was only two years old at the time. Jesus fucking Christ. And he did it before he killed her. He wanted to make sure that she saw that, that Doreen saw that before she died. I hope this dude dies or did die a slow, painful fucking death. So after he made sure that Doreen saw him abusing her baby daughter, he smashed Doreen's skull in with a hatchet. And then... He proceeded to rape and sodomize baby Robin. Fucking Christ, man. He then killed her the same way as her mother. (sighs) He then buried them together in the same makeshift grave. I mean, my heart just fell out of my chest. I mean, I know I said it before, but like, I'm literally at a loss for words. And that's not like that's rare for me. Gaskin's daughter, Shirley, later said that her father, and I quote, just could not resist raping that baby. Gaskins described it as the best sex of his life. Are you fucking shitting me? I told you it only got worse. I warned you. My God. Now, he has been quoted as saying, when you go mixing, I don't hold with that one bit in the world. 
And I wanted to bring that up because one of the accounts that I read was that little Robin was a mixed baby and he'd spoken to Doreen and apparently the new baby was also a mixed baby. So Doreen may have become a target just like Martha. Because of his racist. Because he was a racist piece of shit. Yeah. In July of 1974, Gaskins admittedly murdered two young boys after sodomizing both of them. And the two of them remain unnamed to this day. Wow. Later that same month, he killed 22-year-old Jesse Ruth Judy and 36-year-old Johnny Sellers. The two of them lived together in Charleston. According to Gaskin, Seller owed him money for bailing him out of jail. So he had agreed to split the money from a stolen boat with him. He took Sellers to the woods and shot him in the back of the head. He then returned to Judy and Sellers' home and raped Judy. I don't know if you've mentioned this earlier or if I just wasn't paying attention, but the only person he shot and done a quick death with is a guy sounds like he's he's very sexually motivated like he's a that and he's also knows that he could potentially get overpowered or he is he hates women apparently yeah and you know i think that the reason he hates women is because from the from the get-go his mother mom failed him his mom was supposed to be the one that cared for him and protected him and she didn't do any of the things that she should have done As a mother, she also allowed him to be beaten and raped by her boyfriends and her husband from a young age. So not only does he hate women, but he associates sex with pain and violence. Like, that's all he has to go by. I mean, I would hate women, too, if that were me. But don't kill them. So, yeah, don't kill women. And um, after he raped her, he murdered her as well, obviously. According to Gaskins, that fall, he killed two women who were carnival workers. He knew them only as Linda and Janet. Gaskins said that he shot both of them in the back of the head because he had heard that both of them were known for dating black men. So yet again, those two bodies have never been found. By 1975, according to Gaskins, he had killed and disposed of at least 80 bodies including victims from his so-called coastal kills. Early that year, in February, a woman named Suzanne Kipper paid Gaskins $1,500 to kill her ex-boyfriend, Silas Yates. Silas Yates was a wealthy farmer from Florence County. On February 12th, Gaskins, along with Diane Neely, John Powell, and John Owens, who were all associates of Kipper, conspired... Conspired... Thank you. My brain. It's the. Can't it's do late. It. They conspired. Uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they I, conspired. To murder. 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 Silas Yates. There we go. We got through it together. That's why we're a team. <laughs> you pronounce all the words that I can't pronounce. You have good words. <laughs> um, on the 13th, Diane Neely lured Yates outside of his home saying that she was having car trouble and needed help. Gaskins was waiting with a gun along with Owens and Powell. They drove Silas Yates to the woods where Gaskins killed him as the others watched. 
Then together, they buried his body. That same month, he came upon a van broken down in the highway. He stopped to help. And I'm using that word very loosely. Yeah, obviously, no help at all. He stopped with the pretense of helping. That was his lure. The van passengers were two young college girls and a young college dude. He overpowered them into the back of the van. There, he forced the three of them to engage in group sex. Then, he castrated the young guy. What? Raped the two women and then killed them as well. This fucking guy, man. Like, how much is enough? Apparently, there's no enough. And as you can probably imagine, the inside of that van was a bloody mess. Yeah. So Gaskins enlisted the help of his friend, Walter Neely, to clean and refurbish it to sell. And then just as a sidebar, this friend, Walter Neely, is Diane Neely's ex-husband. The same Diane Neely that just paid him to murder Silas Yates. Jesus. Small world. Fucked up family, more like it. So soon after all of this has happened, Diane and her now ex-con boyfriend, Avery Howard, had the absolutely brilliant idea to blackmail Gaskins. (laughs) So they asked him for $5,000 in hush money. Happens a lot to him, apparently. And okay, so I'm not one to victim blame, but... Like, I just want to, like, throw this out there. This bitch had her boyfriend, I'm sorry, this bitch had her ex-boyfriend murdered in cold blood. And she thought that it was a good idea to blackmail the, the murderer. killed him. Yes. Like. Because, of course, he's not going to kill you. You're only blackmailing him. Right. It makes sense. Brilliant idea. I don't think this woman was known for her smarts, though. So Gaskins actually agreed to pay up the hush money. So he asked Diane and Avery Howard to meet in an undisclosed location to pay up the money. Yeah, sounds like a good lure. (laughs) And shit, I didn't see this coming, but he then murdered the both of them. Murdered. This is the only one that I'm okay with that he murdered because they fucking deserve it too. Surprise, surprise. He murdered them, disposed of their bodies. That happens a lot in this story, apparently. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In September of 1975, 13-year-old Kim Gelkins caught Gaskin's eye. Now, I've read accounts that she was a neighborhood kid, and I've also read that she was a runaway that he allowed to live with him. Regardless of where she came from, she caught his eye. Yeah. And because she was fucking 13 years old, she turned him down. Now, Gaskin's little ego just couldn't handle the rejection, though. So he arranged for two of her friends to lure her to a dirt road near the Florence-Williamsburg county line. Two of her friends? Two of her friends. She doesn't need enemies with friends like that. Right. There, Gaskins proceeded to not just shoot her in the back of the head, 
but he also stabbed her in the abdomen. Just as a last fuck you. He was asked by investigators why he shot and stabbed her. And he said, shit, because I had my gun and my knife. I'm wondering why he's all of a sudden turned into shooting a lot more people. Maybe he just bought a gun. (laughs) Well, obviously. October didn't prove to be any better. 29-year-old Dennis Bellamy and 15-year-old Johnny Knight attempted to rob Gaskins. So guess what happened? Yeah, that's not going to end well. He became enraged and murdered both of them. Surprise. Gaskins obviously considered Walter Neely a friend and someone that he could trust because once again, he enlisted his help. This time, Neely helped him dispose of those two bodies. Gaskins even showed him where he had buried other bodies. Just typical male bonding shit, I'm assuming. No, that's not typical (laughs) at all. I mean, I just assumed. What do I know? Right. You just live with a male. According to Neely, Gaskins admitted to 181 murders, which, if true, would make him the most prolific serial killer in American fucking history. If true. Yeah, I'm thinking this is the one that's not true. Just when it was really starting to feel like Gaskins would never be caught and he's just going to go around killing everyone... The investigation into Kim Gelkin's disappearance started turning up quite a few leads, all of which pointed directly at Gaskins. Good. Armed with a search warrant, the authorities searched through Gaskins' apartment, and eventually they found some of her clothing. Gaskins was indicted for contributing to the delinquency of a minor and was finally arrested on November 14th of 1975. And that's all they could charge him with because she was just missing. Right. They had no proof of anything else. Right. With Gaskins in jail, the police increased the pressure on Neely to talk. He finally broke down and told the police absolutely fucking everything that he knew. Good. Neely then led the police to Gaskins' private cemetery on land that he owned in Prospect, South Carolina. Shouldn't have fucking bonded with him like that. Tom Henderson who is now a sled captain, had then been working on tracing a string of missing persons to Gaskins. L.E. Simmons, the North Charleston police chief, said, the investigation revealed that a lot of people connected to Gaskins seemed to have dropped off the face of the earth, but there was a common thread that ran between them all. So, at this point, they're all putting together. Yeah, shit's like getting real hot for Gaskins. Yeah. So Neely first led the officers to the graves of Dennis Bellamy and Johnny Knight, which is the two bodies that he helped dispose of. Right. They started digging for bodies on Thursday, December 4th, 1975. By dusk, three more bodies had been found. Yeah, they were in for a rude awakening as far as how many they actually found, expecting just two. A group of 24 officers combed through the area searching for makeshift graves By Saturday, an additional three bodies had been found. Damn. The search continued for six days as they searched three miles worth of land. It was then that the bodies of Doreen Dempsey and her two-year-old baby girl were finally found. Jesus, fuck. At least they got closure. Henderson said, Some of the victims were so young. You could tell they were young. And then there was the baby. 
We all knew that we were involved in something that wasn't like anything we'd ever seen before. Dark shit. And what most people involved in the search recount is the smell. Apparently, they were stuffing cotton up their noses while they were searching. Wow. In total, the police discovered eight bodies. Johnny Sellers, Jesse Ruth Judy, Avery Howard, Diane Neely, Johnny Knight, Dennis Bellamy, Doreen Dempsey, and Baby Robin. On April 27, 1976, Donald Gaskins and Walter Neely were charged with eight counts of murder. They charged Walter Neely with eight counts as well? Yep. Wow. Officers in other counties started going through their unsolved cases looking for potential ties to Gaskins, obviously. Yeah, of course. On May 24th, the trial for the murders began. And no more than four days later, Gaskins was found guilty in the first degree for all eight counts and sentenced to death by the electric chair. Good. Story's finally going. Kill this motherfucker. Yep, story's finally looking up. It's too fast for him, though. Uh, He needs to die as slow as possible. That's not legal, though, remember. I don't give a shit at this point. In November of 1976, his sentence was commuted to eight consecutive life terms. Wait, are you fucking serious? So... They took death off the table, and now he's serving eight life sentences? Yeah, because the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the death penalty was unconstitutional. Not for this motherfucker. Murdering two-year-old babies wasn't unconstitutional. Well, it was. In April of 1977, Susan Kipper, John Owens, John Powell, and Gaskins all faced trial for the murder of Silas Yates. It didn't really mean much to Gaskins, as he was already serving life. Yeah, his ass is in jail no matter what. And he knew he wouldn't face the death penalty. Gaskins got on the stand and confessed to absolutely fucking everything to do with Yates. They were all sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Silas Yates. In 1978, the death penalty was made legal once again in South Carolina. Yes. But this didn't affect offenders who'd had their sentences commuted. Oh, my fucking God, man. Yeah, so again, Gaskins was pretty much on the clear. So all this motherfucker had to do was commit no further crimes, and he would have lived the rest of his happy days in jail. Yeah, no, this guy cannot stop killing. I mean, it should have been simple enough, right? (laughs) No, not for him. There's nothing simple surrounding the story whatsoever. But on September 2nd, 1982, Gaskins committed another murder. This one's, like, all of them have been crazy, but this one's fucking crazy, right? This one is the one that earned him the nickname, the meanest man in America. Yeah, no shit. Gaskins was serving his time at the South Carolina Correctional Institution alongside fellow inmate Rudolph Tyner. Tyner was in prison for killing an elderly couple, Bill and Myrtle Moon, which, by the way, how cool is her name? Right. Myrtle Moon. He killed him during an armed robbery of a store that they owned. Their son, Tony Simo, just so happened to be friendly with Gaskins. They knew each other outside of prison. Let me guess. He got hired to kill this guy, too. So Tony was incredibly frustrated 
that Rudolf Tyner would spend years and years on death row. So Tony Simo, as one does, and as you guessed it, paid Gaskins to expedite Tyner's death sentence. <laughs> I like that, expedite. Tyner was entirely oblivious to all of this, and Gaskins was able to manipulate him into a friendship. Gaskins made several attempts to murder Tyner using rat poison, but all of those attempts failed. Where the fuck did he get rat poison from? <laughs> I mean, this is the same guy that escaped in a garbage truck and killed somebody with a knife in prison, so he's pretty fucking resourceful. Yeah, so he's about to get real resourceful. Oh, I know. So since he couldn't kill him by poisoning him... <laughs> he took a more extreme measure. <laughs> he opted to using explosives to kill Tyner. Yeah, that'll do the trick. He also got explosives in prison, by the way. <laughs> He's real resourceful. Yeah, that just fucking blows my mind. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> you do that every episode. <laughs> but I never mean it. Hence, no pun intended. <laughs> so he made a bomb with C4. C4 is a bomb. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Okay, so making bombs is not my forte. Surprise, surprise. Well, thank God for me. But just, I wouldn't know where to go right now to get explosives. And this dude is getting <laughs> C4 in prison. <laughs> so You can't go anywhere to get C4. It is illegal. <laughs> so Gaskins made this little device that was similar to a portable radio. And he snuck it into Tyner's death row cell and told him that they would be able to communicate and sing Kumbaya together that way. Makes like that's, sense. That's literally what he said. He was like, what? Hey, uh, that's, yeah, he was like, let's, let's sing, sing Kumbaya. Yeah. That's not really what he said. Damn it, Biggs. <laughs> so at an agreed upon time, Tyner followed Gaskin's instructions, and he held a little explosive device to his ear. And then Gaskins detonated the bomb from his cell, and the blast killed Tyner. You know what that reminds me of? What does that remind you of? Pablo Escobar. So he was trying to take out... Uh, I can't remember. I don't know if it was Gaviria at the time or if it was the other candidate running for president. But he was trying to take out the candidate running for president. So he had someone make a bomb out of a tape recorder and then got a unsuspecting kid... To oh, no. go on to a plane thinking that this kid was thinking that he was just going to record a conversation and blackmail the candidate. Oh, no. But when he pressed play to record the conversation, it blew up. Unfortunately, the plane went down. Everybody on the plane died. The uh, candidate, though, that Pablo Escobar was trying to kill. Was uh, he not even was, on the plane? Yeah, it was Garveria. He was actually stopped by... The DEA that was in Colombia at the time warned them of the attempt and so stopped them. So the little him. boy died. Oh, so it wasn't really a little boy. It was like a, it was a kid that was like twenty two or twenty three. But I mean, it was a young person that thought that he was just recording a conversation. But yeah, that's what it reminded me of. So you know how Gaskins is a really nice dude, right? I mean, he seems pretty nice so far. Yeah. So after this happened, he bragged that the very last thing that Tyner ever heard was the sound of him laughing. Wow. 
So then Donald Gaskins was tried for the murder of Rudolf Tyner. And this time... He got the death penalty. He was finally sentenced to death. Thank God. Again. This one stuck, though, I'm assuming. And then a little interesting piece of history... But this was the very first time in South Carolina that a white man was sentenced to death for the murder of a black man. I could not think of a better person. I love the irony. To be put to death for Mm this. Yeah, racist fucking asshole. So after this, he tried to get some kind of plea deal to avoid death. So then he confessed to the murder of 13-year-old Margaret Catino. But the prosecution didn't believe him. After all, William Pierce was already convicted and serving a life sentence for her murder. Wow. But remember, none of the evidence really pointed to him. And it's not the first time somebody confessed to a crime that they did not commit. And then it matched his M.O. to a T. Yeah, coercion is, is, is huge. Donald Gaskin spent the last few months of his life telling his story to writer Wilton Earle, which eventually became his memoir, published in 1993. He claimed to have killed anywhere from 100 to 110 victims, and he said he had a special mind that gave him permission to kill. Permission to kill? That's like a thing you didn't know? No. You have to have a special mind for it. Oh, I guess that's why I don't kill people. You don't have a special mind? (laughs) I'm glad I don't. The police dismissed the claims that he killed all of those people, because, I mean, by then it was just impossible to really verify that. Well, and also this guy knows that he's about to get put to death and he's not going to have a chance to kill anybody else again. He's just trying to be as infamous as possible is what I'm thinking. On the day that he was scheduled to be executed, like a fucking coward, he slit his wrist just to try to avoid the electric chair. Did he die? No. He was stitched right back up. <laughs> And he was placed on the electric chair right on schedule. Nice. On September 6, 1991, at 12.57 a.m., Gaskins walked into the execution chamber, smiling at his crying attorney. Gaskins had chosen her, Kelly Branham, as his witness. He sat on the electric chair as two leather straps were tightened around his arms, chest, waist, and legs. A ground wire was attached to his right leg. He smiled and nodded at Branham, who continued to cry, and he was given the opportunity to make a final statement. His last words were, I will let my attorneys make all statements for me. Officers covered Gaskin's face from the nose down with a wide piece of leather, which was used to pull his head back and strap it to the chair. Then they put a black cap on his head and covered his head and face with a brown cloth. The officers then attached a heavy black wire from the ceiling to the cap on Gaskin's head. Six of the ten people in the execution chamber left the room. Then three volunteers simultaneously pushed the necessary buttons, sending 2,000 volts of electricity through Gaskin's body. You can volunteer for that? I don't know. I would have 100% volunteered to be one of those people. Gaskin's body jerked for a few seconds, then relaxed, and a second surge of electricity was ran through his body. A doctor came in from another room and checked his pulse. He then used a stethoscope. Stethoscope. (laughs) Stethoscope. Thank you. To check for a heartbeat. 
A second doctor checked for a second time, then lifted the hood covering his face, shining a light in his eyes. Spoiler alert. He's dead, dead. He's dead. George Martin, who was the warden of Broad River Correctional Institution, pronounced Donald Gaskins dead at 1.10 a.m. The only family present at his execution was his son, Donald Lee Gaskins. Fuck this fucking guy. That was a rough one. Yeah, I think this is one that I'm glad to be done with. I'm just glad I don't have to read about him anymore. Right. I do want to thank everybody for sticking around, though, because I know it's rough on us having to recite this. I can't imagine how rough it is hearing about this, not knowing anything about this guy. So I appreciate you sticking around for us. I promise we will do something a little bit lighter next week for you before we go back into something a little bit more heavy, because I think we all need a little bit of a break. Yeah, sometimes a break is nice, especially when... True crime is just so dark. Yeah, so just keep an eye out next week for the episode. We're going to try to start doing, if we can, a uh, full-length episode every two weeks, but then a mini-episode for you guys every week. You'll seem to respond pretty well to those, and we want to give the people what they want. And then, just as a little side note for our local listeners, there was a particular case that has been recommended to us over and over again. Um, I'm not going to say which one yet. We're, we're still working on it. We're doing some research. Um, we've been speaking to the victim's daughter for an unsolved murder local to us. And this is one that's really rough, but I feel like her story needs to be told. Yeah, it needs to get out there. So I just want you guys to know that we are working on a local story that's been requested. And once we do release it, though, we just ask you guys to make as much noise as possible because her story, it needs to get out there. And just let us know if there's any stories that y'all want us to cover. We're happy to do it. We love recommendations and we love hearing from you guys. That some of the some of these stories that we've already covered is has been recommendations and it's been some of our best ones. So, where can they hear us at? You guys can email us. That podcast at crimeandcompulsion.com. You can find us on Facebook. Crime and Compulsion. You can find us on Instagram. Crime and Compulsion Podcast. You can find us on Twitter. At Crime Compulsion. We also have a website. If you didn't know, it's crimeandcompulsion.com. It's been a long episode, man. Long two episodes, actually. And we recorded this back to back. Yeah, it's like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so you guys got to break it up into two episodes, but... (laughs) We had to like torture through it. (laughs) We've been recording all night. I'm just going to leave you with this. Remember to subscribe. Make sure you hit up the new episodes whenever they come out, guys. Yeah, subscribe. Leave us reviews. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, until next time. (laughs) Goodbye.